guess that realization helps me live in the moment and focus on the moment and being present in whatever I do. That um, yeah, tomorrow sounds nice, doesn't it? What's this realization? What's the big secret? How can we learn to live in the moment? Guess you'll have to listen to find out. This is Mountain Meister. Hello there. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm Ben Shank, the host, and on the other end is Conrad Anker, world-renowned mountaineer. Hello, Conrad. Good morning. How are you, Ben? I am great. Yes, good morning to you too, although it's a couple of hours later in the morning where I am. I have a a little bit of a time advantage. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you don't know Conrad, he's redefined what's possible in climbing over the past three-ish decades. His accomplishments span from climbing 8,000-meter peaks in the Himalaya without oxygen to first ascents in Antarctica to big wall climbing in Patagonia. In 1999, he located George Mallory's frozen body on Mount Everest and most recently, Meru, a documentary about the first ascent on the shark's fin, won Audience Choice Award for documentaries at Sundance Film Festival. Congratulations, Conrad. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. So let's start things off by learning about your childhood. It's always interesting when we have extreme people on the show to hear where the influences come from. So talk a little bit about your family, your childhood, uh, how you found climbing. Yeah, um, my family's from Central California, and my dad's side of the family's from Tuolumne County, and my mother is, um, she's from Germany, Dresden, so a little village just outside of Dresden, and my father was in the service, he was there in the 50s, that's where he met my mom and then brought her over, so hence my name, Conrad, and um, having to learn German as a kid, so lived... um, in the Bay Area until about second grade and then lived overseas in Japan and Hong Kong as a kid. And then, um, yeah, kind of an international background in that sense. But um, How long did you live in Japan and Hong Kong? Uh, three years in Japan and two years in Hong Kong. Wow. So I was, um, it was in the 70s, so an interesting time. It was nice to, to be there. It certainly gave me appreciation for Japanese culture and, and also um, Asian culture, Chinese culture in Hong Kong. So a nice place to be uh, when you're young. And um, I don't, at the time I was like, gosh, I just wanted to play baseball and be in the States. And you don't realize what, how good it was until afterwards. So okay. I think it was a big part of who I am. Huh. And when did you find climbing? We climbed every summer. We get back to Tuolumne County. That's where my grandfather and um grandmother are from and they my my brother and sister and mother still live in the same place so they're all there um but we'd go up in the high country of the sierras with mules and uh, fishing rods and spend two weeks backpacking and kind of what people don't do nowadays they kind of drive in look at the park purchase a rubber tomahawk and then move on so we were we'd get into the backcountry, and that was sort of the the start of it and peak bagging with that and then going uh, to 
rappelling with gold line and then climbing and, and sort of the, by the time I moved to Salt Lake City to attend the University of Utah, I had to wake up every morning and all I wanted to do was go climbing. <laughs> and you've, you've been a professional climber for how long now? Well, um, gosh, <laughs> is getting a free uh, sleeping bag constitute being a professional climber? Yeah, so, good point. Um, I started in 1983 at the Holly Bar store in Salt Lake City, which was then purchased by the North Face. So that was my how I started working with the North Face in 1983. In 1987, I got a sleeping bag and a raincoat to go climb the Kachatnas, along with a $400 grant from the American Alpine Club. So it was kind of the start of it, but um, it was just odds and ends, guiding here and there, not doing much. Um, and then starting about 1992, working with the North Face, creating the, uh, the athlete team and the climbing team. And um, at the time, um, making you know, basically beer money. <laughs> and then 95 to 98, working in-house at the North Face, which was a great learning experience to see how um, to learn sports marketing, to be in an office environment, being in the Bay Area. I'd get out to Yosemite every weekend, but I was also a little bit of a caged rat <laughs> um, but then going on doing expeditions uh, seeing how expeditions are built and then building in the media component so um, at this day and age at uh, age 52 I probably um, a professional climber someone like Alex Hanold who climbs mm -hmm. all day long every day and so I'm a mid-level marketing manager for a national international clothing company and a couple other business things on the side I get out and I go climbing so um, but uh, yeah, I, describing myself as a professional climber seems a little bit heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the definition of a professional climber has has probably changed over the time that you have been one, right? Certainly, it um, it it's not like quantitative um, sports that is like running the 100-meter dash. Right. You win, you win. And same thing with baseball and things like that. So what we do in adventure, it's it, it's experiential. So we're out to tell stories, to motivate, to get other people to come out and go do those things. And I think that's a large part of what I do. And then bringing athletes that have that ability into the brands that I work with and getting them to inspire people to get outdoors and to find their own limits and try something new. Mm -hmm. So... A lot of the climbing and a lot of the climbers uh, say that they have this acceptable level of risk. And from what I've heard from other climbers about you is that the reason why you're so well regarded is because you've been able to just identify this acceptable level of risk. Do you have any thoughts on how you've been able to do that? What, what you feel on, on the climb to know and to identify when something is beyond your acceptable level? The first part of that is it, it, it goes right back to the most reptilian part of our brain that, that that's identified with breathing, and that's your self-preservation instinct. And so listening to that, if you know that you're in a situation that could potentially go bad, then listening to it and being aware of it uh, is is probably the first step to it. And some people might not have be in tune with that, so it changes their ability to process risk and evaluate it. Um, the other thing is uh, someone that has uh, hyper-situational awareness, and I think I have that. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm in a room or 
in a train or in a plane or on a mountain or on a pitch, I'm taking in all that data and then processing it. So, and once I have that data in my mind, I look at the worst case scenario. So what would happen if I didn't protect the, the traverse? The second could then take a potentially swinging fall and injure their ankles. So what could happen if I didn't hydrate enough the night before on a summit attempt on a Himalayan peak? Well, then you're just going to run out of fuel three-fourths of the way up the mountain or on the way down and then more likely to have an accident. So it's being aware of your surroundings and then planning to to identify what could go wrong and then working to remedy those mm-hmm. potential mishaps. So is that hyper-awareness that you have biological or is that something that can be learned? It can be learned, certainly, but I think it's also in other people you can be in a crowded room and, and someone you could say ben and you would hear it right away and you turn around and you'd look and you're trying to figure out what's going on other people you could say hey jim and you wouldn't be until you walked over and you grabbed him on the shoulder jim i'm talking to you and jim would be thinking about quantum physics or something like that and so he doesn't it's a different way so um so jim might not be a good climber might not be a good climber but <laughs> Um, if you do have hyper um, hyper situational awareness, you make good pilots, you make good climbers, and it's something that you can learn to become better with it. But it's also it's an innate trait and skill that people might have. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you have an like an obsessive personality? Would you say? I don't know if it's obsessive. I'm not like folding my socks every morning in a certain way. I mean, it's not, and I'm not a hoarder or any of that stuff. But um, I'm definitely hyperactive Mm -hmm. and um, they have labels for it and there's definitions but I've never visited anyone to say oh yeah that's what it is my parents just thought he's hyperactive less sugar more sports (laughs) (laughs) so that was their solution it was they didn't want to prescribe any of the uh the medications with it. So, um, and then in turn for what I'm doing here and climbing, it ends up being, being a blessing. But, um, anytime where I have to focus on the situation and the outcome involves, um, risk and reward, then I click into that situational awareness that helps me get through things. And that's why climbing is great because if I'm here at my desk, if I don't have a to-do list and then, mentally hold myself do that and then check it off and go through it again i'm a complete i mean it's like now with social media on your computer and and Mm -hmm. climbing chat room there's so much stuff to be easily distracted so if i don't have a to-do list i can't get through things and but when i'm out climbing that to-do list is not falling and not getting hurt so i have to key into the environment and in that process it that's when i find my happiness Right. So in this environment of high, high risk, like real dangers, does that mean that you've come to terms and you've said, if something does go wrong and I die doing this, I'm okay with it? I don't think I – it's never worth dying for. No climbing activity is worth dying for. So that's the challenge and it's – Krakauer describes it well, because you want to push the limit, but you don't want to go over the edge and you want to, to have it in there. So it's always been come back for another day. Uh, dying on the mountain doesn't do anyone any good yourself, first of all, and especially your family and loved ones. Um, so I guess the risk is present, 
right? There's this kind of ob- uh, um, objective risk that you can't control. That can kill you, can't it? Objective risk, yes. If you are standing underneath a big serac that could cut loose or an avalanche zone, then yes, you could, but you could not be in that point right. again. So there's like removing that objective risk. And the safest would be to live in your basement in the padded cell with TV and a gravity feed of potato chips and there'd be no risk in life aside from obesity, but that's not living. So, um, yeah, if you go out, then there's a chance that you could get rained on or you could have an afternoon uh, shower that comes in, uh, lightning storms, things like that. So there's, um, taking risk out of life is, um, it's just not for me. It would be tremendously boring and that's that's the beauty of humans we there's so many of us seven billion and counting and growing that we don't all have to do the same thing and so if you're out there doing things that are fun as long as you don't harm other people and and trash the planet i think you're okay in in, in pursuing your dreams yeah so when you uh, you've had some climbing partners and a mentor mug stump who have died climbing when something like that happens does your perspective on climbing change at all or and and should it impact the way you climb loss was far more significant when i in my 20s and 30s it just it 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 rocked my world and i see it now in young climbers that have been climbing for 10 years and they're just so taken by the sport and what it brings to them in this life and in the bonds that you create with your friends and then they have there's a tragedy and they are just they're spinning, and I was in that in that point. And now, in my fifties, and having um, my father's passed away, I mean, I realized that life is finite. And uh, when you're in your twenties, it's like, yeah, the next thirty years you'll still be climbing strong. But for me, now in thirty years, I'm not going to be climbing the same. At eighty years old, I, there's no way that I'm going to be climbing five eleven. <laughs> it, it, life is more finite at this point, but it. I, I probably have a different view on that than most people. Hmm. So, um, well, what do you think others view as? There's this um, prevailing view that one, as a parent, I shouldn't be doing this. It's even more so for um, for female alpinists and climbers that they really shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be uh, taking on risk voluntarily by your own volition because you're doing it for the sense of adventure and that it's irresponsible. So um, people comment on that. They send me anonymous letters. It's kind of a, it's a weird thing. And, um, and that the ideal standard is to, to live till you're 95 and you peacefully expire in a, um, in a rest home and la di da di da. And um, that, uh, that life is um, is unknown, and not everything and not everyone is going to live to full maturity. And um, I guess that realization helps me live in the moment and focus on the moment and being present in whatever I do, that tomorrow something could happen that's not good, or I could live to be 100, I could live to be 90. This is Mountain Meister, and you're listening to our conversation with world-renowned mountaineer Conrad Anker. To check out our full library of over 140 episodes, you can subscribe to 
to our podcast on iTunes or go to our website, mtnmeister.com, exploring the minds of those who explore. If you'd like to hear more words from Conrad, you can buy our Play Director Package. That's on our website as well under the support section. Thanks. Back to the show. Meru. I watched it last night. Uh, Audience Choice Award for Documentaries at Sundance. Congratulations on that. Uh, One part that I just thought was really fun and funny to watch was how different you and uh, Jimmy and Renan were. For the Meister fans, we had Renan on episode 122. We talked about a Sisyphean passion. Uh, And then hopefully we can get Jimmy on in the future. Uh, But anyway, yeah, it just seems like the three of you had such contrasting personalities. You've got Renan, who's so soft-spoken, and then you're kind of giddy, you get excited a lot, and then uh, Jimmy is so level-headed all the time, like no matter what the situation is. Do I have that right? Yeah, that would be... um, (laughs) But when I'm on the climb, I'm a taskmaster. Taskmaster. Yeah, I can be to the point and be a drill sergeant up there. I'm like, we're not screwing up. We have to do things right. This is serious stuff. We're not, we're not chilling at the sport climbing crag. Um, So let's all be on our best game. And so you get into that state when you're, and it's the exposure of the climb being on a wall that size that creates that need. Having people along with you, is that one of the, one of your favorite parts of an expedition? Yeah, the the joy of being outdoors with your friends is um, is pretty good, and that's one of the things with Jennifer, my wife, and our uh, three boys is that when I do these climbs, I, I go in a group of three. Um, two is great; it's faster, but there's greater risk involved. So, if someone does fall, then um, you don't have uh, one person is more difficult to you know, pull someone out of a, a dicey situation. And with two people, you have a a little bit safer uh, capability there. So that, um, and then I enjoy the the camaraderie and the friendship of, of being there and stuff. So there's um, someone that you get up to the top, you say, wow, that was intense. And you say, yeah, that was intense. So mm-hmm. um, I, I did some rope solo aid climbing and, and when I used to climb in Zion and stuff like that. And it was, um, I guess I'm a social creature, so I like to hang out with my friends. Yeah. Um, I think it was Krakauer who said in the film that for this climb, you would need to push outside of that acceptable level of risk that we talked earlier. Uh, do you agree with that? Did you need to step outside of that zone? Yeah, I things were pretty much in control. There was um, one section that we had to traverse that was kind of in a shooting gallery of falling rocks. So, um but uh, anytime you're in the Himalayas, you just you're going to make sure your gear is good because you're not going to pitch because you break an ankle and it's not like mm-hmm. I mean you hurt yourself on El Cap. You get on your cell phone and Werner and the rescues showing on the top in the helicopter and dun da 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 you're rescued. But um, in the Himalayas, yeah. it's self sufficiency and so that um, that level of caution goes into it. Um, but the blessing of this Meru story was in 2008, we were two pitches from the summit and one of them was an involved aid climbing pitch, but we were so at our limit and it would have entailed an open bivy, which 
given the the state that we're in, probably would have led to um, frostbite um, more so than what we already had. So that would not have been good, and it wasn't worth it. And then coming back in 2011, we basically did the second ascent. Um, so it was able to. It was neat to see all the the handiwork of the pitches that we'd done, and um, on, on, from a personal level, being able to see all of the uh, climb, all the climbing, and now having accepting one pitch or something like that led every pitch on it. So I was like, yeah, I know the route. So I'd imagine that contributes to your effectiveness as a leader. Uh, and you are known as leader. You're the leader of the North face, uh, athlete team. What other attributes do you have that, or, or should a leader have on these expeditions? I lead by example. So I get out there and set the pace for the work that you expect to be done. So, um, don't uh, expect someone to carry a, a heavy load if you're not carrying one yourself or building out a tent platform, something like that. So um, it's kind of, it's, um, it's sort of, an, it's an innate thing, but it also comes with age and experience. So certainly Jimmy and Renan, when they're in 10, 12 years, when they're my age, they're um, going to be sharing those uh those skills with other people. Yeah. So something that the movie didn't cover is how you're feeling now, how you're feeling after. This was like a, a big time, lifetime goal. How is life now, now that it's all over? Oh, it's good. <laughs> life's, life's fine. Um, I wake up and I feed the dogs. I water the plants, um, line out my day, hopefully get some time to go climbing in. So it hasn't, Life hasn't changed. I still enjoy all, all that I want to do. Um, but from a, a standpoint of a life goal, Meru certainly was that. It was something that um, I knew about the mountain for 25 years before I ever went there. And then starting with my first expedition 10 year, 12 years ago now in uh, 2003, that was the first time I went there. So it was – and then – failed on it and then coming back again in 2008 and then eventually uh, attaining the summit in 2011 and it would have been great and a, a fun I would have had a couple pictures looking up of someone leading a classic butt shot and then um, maybe a picture on the summit and a couple stories that I would have shared with friends but having Jimmy and Renan along um, really they were able to tell the story and that's um, and I'm not a great photographer by any measure. So it was, it was good to have those two gentlemen along to help uh, pr- make the film and then be able to share it with more people. So I'm sure there's more to your life than just climbing. What else do you have going on? Well, um, gosh, probably main thing is uh, keeping my eye on the ball with uh, – my family, Jennifer, my wife, and our three boys. So one, Max, the oldest, is through college. And then uh, university, he's graduated and he's out working on things. And then Sam is uh, a junior at Montana State and Isaac's a freshman at Western Washington. So seeing the boys through education is like a that's a summit that I can identify. So that's like my next goal um, kind of on that. And then maybe in 10 or 15 years, writing about what I've seen in life, but um, there's still a lot to do, so I don't want to get that uh, finished off. Um, involved here in Galton County, Montana, trying to get a um, concert venue, ice climbing 
uh, dry tooling structure built on the fairground, so we'd have a, um, like a Olympic quality, uh, World Cup level climbing structure built out of shipping containers. So wow. that's my uh, big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to have those things out there, things like that. Yeah, so. we we actually I'll just we, we created 2015 goals uh, on the podcast, and yeah. we all made sure we had big, hairy, audacious goals. If you don't have them, then there's nothing. I mean, if your goal is like, well, I'm going to lose a pound. I'm like, come on. Mm-hmm. You can do that by just running hard and sweating. you got to have something that's really yeah. out there, like going for the moon, something like that. So, And then, um, you know, one of the things that um, I've always been motivated um, kind of from a uh, an entrepreneurial standpoint, uh, started uh, cool clothing, and then that's now going. That was uh, something I did in the 80s. Um, Kevin Boyle's running. He's doing a great job with it. Um, had uh, a run building portal edges with anchor climbing equipment, and um, that was uh, the insurance and the lawyers got the better side of me. So mm. <laughs> it was kind of a cool thing. But now we're working um, here out of uh, Montana. We've got a uh, an energy supplement company, Voketab, which is uh, totally awesome. So it's kind of one of my things that uh, I get up and I'm motivated about. Hmm. Voke tab. Tell us more. What is Voke? Voke is um, this wonderful, uh, healthy green tea caffeine. It's an alternative to the, the caffeine drinks that are full of sugar. So it's uh, there's no sugar. Um, it has 100% of your daily vitamin C. It's uh, transportable. And so my friend Kalen, he's from Hamilton, came up with it. And then when we were on Everest in 2012, I took a bunch of them over there. And so it's, a, it's about the size of a... Um, it's a tablet and it's chewable, and um, so we shared them with the Sherpas that were working on the mountain. They were like, they loved them because it has a, it has a wonderful taste. And the, the Sherpas were like, "Oh yeah, legs no tired." That was the name they <laughs> gave for the <laughs> that's what they gave for the product, and so they were um, they see the benefit for it. So um, it's nice because um, it's a way to take sugar out of uh, everyone's diet, and the state of the nation is the health that we're in, and that's. Um, Kind of one of these other big hairy audacious goals that I'm I'm working on is with um, is how do we bend the curve on the health of people in the United States? And so this um, we have this uh, group of us that get together. Um, so one area that we're working on is type two diabetes, which is uh, very much related to diet and exercise, and finding areas where people need to be. Um, mindful of, uh, of, of what they're eating and then increase their physical activity. And how can we, how can we get people to do that? So we talk about like the realistic uh, ways to solve this problem. That's what you're doing with Vogue is offering kind of this alternative to the sugary caffeinated. And I mean, Vogue has caffeine, but without the sugar, uh, a replacement to those. Exactly. So we look at, uh, you can have caffeine in the form of coffee, but it gets to a certain point and you're going to have it's too acidic. You don't want to take it late in the afternoon. Um, it might not allow, allow you to sleep. Uh, but green tea leaf caffeine is uh, less jittery. So from a climbing standpoint, it's good. And mm-hmm. the fact that it has 100% of the RDA um, recommend daily allowance of vitamin C is really good. And so um, we had it checked out by the uh, World Cup Climbing Federation. So if you're an athlete, you don't have to worry about um, it. It's not... You're not doping, so there's um, it's kind of a it's a good way, and it um, it's really neat to be part of this project. Um, there's uh, four or five of us, and we wake up every morning, and we're like, okay, 
how we're going to make this happen and get people going. And, and, and again, thanks to you and um, Mountain Meister and getting out there to share the word. Um, so Yeah, absolutely. If you'd like to try Vogue for yourself, 55% off of their reload membership. Uh, thank you, Conrad, and the Vogue team. 50% off your first month. Uh, basically, it's a monthly membership, and they'll just automatically – uh, send you your desired amount, whether you want one tin or a case each month. And then also, in addition to that, the first 50 people who do it, first 50 get a signed Conrad Anchor poster courtesy of today's guest. Thank you, Conrad. Yeah, certainly. And uh, the Reload program is a great way to get uh, delivered to your door because we're not in many markets. So mm, cool. uh, it, it just, and that's the way things work. You subscribe to podcasts, you subscribe to music. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Full details about that on our website under the deal section or on Conrad's Meister profile page. Before we get to our last question, I want to get your perspective on this quote that I heard the other day. Uh, it goes, Life is lived forward, but remembered and understood backward. Looking back at your career, Conrad, what do you now understand that you only lived back then? Oh, um, gosh. (laughs) When I was in my 20s, I should have uh, warmed up and and trained more. Um, I could have increased my strength. But now my technique is you, re, you improve your technique. So it's kind of more specific to that. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty much a forward-thinking person. To me, life is a linear experience. And today is the best day of my life, and tomorrow is going to be the best day of my life. And, yes, I had great experiences in the past. But if I dwell on them and say, oh, the time I skied at Kachatnas, that was such a wonderful, well, yes, it was a wonderful trip. I, and I had a great time. We saw bears and we did a climb and it, it was just this wonderful Jack London-esque adventure. But it was 25 years ago and it's good to have that in there, but not to be, to dwell on it. And um, so that classic bit of uh, Americana, Napoleon Dynamite, you've seen the film mm-hmm. and there's the guide and he's, you know, it's Idaho, it's part of the West where I'm from and he's there by his van and he's just like, yeah, there I was. I threw the touchdown pass in the high school football game. And the guy's like, he's not getting out of that point where he was back then. And that to me is one of the, the trappings of, uh, of life is to be that, Oh, some point in 10 years ago was the apex of my life. And it's never going to be as good as that. And then, so you're going to let yourself down. So, Instead of looking at it like that, it's like, well, yeah, I'm 52 today. In a couple months, I'll be 53. Sure, I'm not going to be on sighting 512 like I was in my 20s and 30s, but I'm still going to be enjoying climbing for what it is and and living in that moment and finding other ways that are creative and ways to engage the human spirit. Conrad, you have been requested by many of our listeners and for good reason. It's now your turn. Who would you like to request as a future guest on Mountain Meister? It'd be great to get Jimmy Chin, because then you'd have all three of us from the Meru expedition there. Um, Reinhold Messner, I mean, that guy's the man, basically. I mean, he uh, is legendary in Europe, and he was able to set up all the um, what he's done. He's also very outspoken about the environment, which I think is something that's, that's visionary on that sense. Um, so here is an, an elder statement, statesman, and then uh, from a young climber, you look at uh, 
uh, someone like Hayden Kennedy. Um, he's out there on the cutting edge. He's doing great things. David Lama, another example of a young climber um, that are getting out there. I mean, both those gentlemen, um, part of the Saratori story uh, with Hayden and, and the ham- and the boltless ascent, not yeah. using the bolts that Maestri put on there, and then uh, taking the bolts out, and then David Lama a couple of weeks later free climbing it. So there's kind of like that it's this great bit of uh, Saratori history, which is one of the most iconic mountains in the world. Yeah. We just had uh, Kelly Cordes on uh, to chat a little bit about the tower. Yeah, his book is phenomenal. The Tower is the title of the book. And if you haven't read it, go read it. It was um, the best read I I got last year. So (laughs) that's honest. (laughs) (laughs) For the listeners, keep an ear out for those guys on a future episode of Mountain Meister. Conrad Anker, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Ben, thank you, and uh, thanks, listeners. And uh, my little uh, life motto is be good, be kind, be happy. So kindness leads to uh, to goodness, and then add both those together and you find happiness. So uh, cool. keep that in mind as a prism. Yeah, I think I might add that to all of our interviews, maybe like a, a little section where you get to say whatever you want to say for the last minute, kind of like that. Well, thank you. Let me start something new here. For listeners, find out more conradanker.com. We'll also have highlights of today's episode at our website, mtnmeister.com, on Conrad's Meister profile page. Thanks, Conrad. All right. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed that episode. That was Conrad Anker, world-renowned mountaineer. Check out highlights of today's episode at our website, mtnmeister.com, on Conrad's Meister profile page. We'll have links to Meru, the documentary that we talked about. Also to Voketab. Don't forget you can get 50% off, 50% off your first month of a Voke Reload membership. Also the first 50 people to do this get a signed Conrad Anchor poster. So jump on it as soon as you can. And finally, thank you, Meister fans. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for your support. If you have any thoughts on Conrad's episode, there's a discussion forum at the bottom of his page. If you want to give your own interpretation of life is lived forward, but remembered and understood backward. You could put that, or you could put whatever else you want. That's all from us. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever else you do while you listen to the podcast. Until the next time you hear my voice, I'm Ben Shank. Thanks for listening to Mountain Meister. <laughs>